But 2 Kings chapter number 5 in your Bibles, 2 Kings 5. Once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read the first four verses here. And I'll begin in verse 1, and then we'll read uh, every other verse together, beginning in verse 2. Brother Joe, if you could turn, are you able to turn this off up here? Thank you. All right, uh, 2 Kings 5, I'll begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Together, verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies, and had brought away out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. The title of the sermon this morning is very simple. It's just this, The Hebrew Handmaid. The Hebrew Handmaid. We're going to look at what God used a small little girl to do and how he used her in such an impactful way. Uh, And so uh, we'll consider that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word and do our best to to preach it, to understand it, Lord, my prayer is that not only would my lips be anointed and that you would speak through me, but, Lord, that those in the room, their ears would be anointed and they would hear exactly what is needed. For each person to be a little bit different, each person needs something that's a little bit different, and so, Lord, we pray that you would, um, uh, Holy Spirit, you would work in each heart. Help us to, to comprehend the message in our head, but then, Lord, to be inspired to live for you in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All throughout the Bible, we find young people, young people that did some things that had a profound impact on the world, a profound impact even on history. Young people who... Uh, were so mature and godly that they were used by God to change the hearts of even grown adults. Grown adults. The Bible says uh, that God uses the weak and the simple to confound the mighty and the wise. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You may remember the story of Jesus when he came in to Jerusalem. Just before they would grab him and falsely try him and have him crucified. And uh, the Sunday prior to his execution uh, was Palm Sunday. And children stood in the streets with palm branches and laying them down in the path that he would walk. And the children with some of the adults cried out and said, Hosanna to the Son of Highest. And they praised Him and they called Him Hosanna. The children, the ones who were too simple to know the politics of that day. The children who uh, were too young to be involved in being skeptical had enough faith to with clarity see that Jesus was who He said He was. Boy, later on in that chapter, Jesus would walk into the temple where men were taking advantage of his system and selling animals in order to uh, earn personal gain. And he would take a whip and he'd flip over the tables of the money changers and he would run them out. And as Jesus is leaving the temple, there the children are again, singing his praises. They know who he is. But those Pharisees, those 
those religious uh, phonies, they, they were angry. And they said, you need to reprimand those children and you need to tell them to stop calling you the Son of God. You need to tell them to knock it off. And how did Jesus reply? Out of Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, he quoted, Psalm 8, 2 reads, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. What was he saying? You all are grown adults, but you are too filled with pride and skepticism to see who I am. But that child who is simple in heart, that child who is, uh, who is filled with faith, boy, they have the clarity of mind and the clarity of heart to see who I really am. God uses children to do some incredible things. Amazing things. David was but a child when he killed Goliath. Daniel was but a child when he, when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Samuel was only a child when he ministered before the Lord in the temple. Isaac was still just a young man when he voluntarily laid down his life on the altar, symbolizing the sacrifice of our Savior. And King Josiah, King Josiah was only eight years old. When he became a righteous king of Israel. Are any of the boys in here on this front row here eight years old? Are any of you eight years old? Eight years old? You're eight years old, Serenity? Any of the boys eight years old? Stand up for me, Serenity. I want you to imagine Serenity becoming the queen of America. She has, she has the judicial, the legislative, and the executive power that a king or queen would hold. Wow. Can you imagine a child today? Taking that role, mom and dad are like, no. <laughs> you can be seated. Thank you, sweetheart. Let me tell you a word to the parents here, if I could, for just a minute. This is not a sermon on parenting. But I would uh, just like to interject something to the parents in the room briefly. Parents, teach your children to be responsible. Teach your children to work hard. Teach your boys what it means to sweat and hurt in work. Teach your children to be godly. Teach your children what it means to live a disciplined lifestyle. Why? Because young people have gone off and have done some pretty amazing things. Did you ever stop to consider that the large majority of the boys that made up the infantry that stormed the beaches of Normandy in World War II, the majority of those boys were only 18 years old. Some of them were 17 years old. They had snuck in. Boy, what if the children, the, the young men, the 18-year-old boys, had not been raised right? What if they had not been taught discipline and hard work and, and patriotism and love for country and, a, 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 and been given a backbone? Boy, I don't know that I would be standing in this pulpit right here at all, but if I would be, I don't know that I'd be preaching this sermon in English. Somewhere along the way, a mom and a dad looked at their children and their teenagers and said, I'm not going to raise you to be a pansy. I'm going to raise you to know how to live life. Children in the room, when your parents ride your case about doing your homework, when your parents ride your case about getting your chores done, when your parents ride your case about taking initiative, when your parents ride your case about getting out of bed at a particular time and going to bed at a certain time, hey, don't buck them. Don't fight them. They're doing their job. It is their duty to prepare you to be an adult. 
We have an absence of 20-somethings that know how to, as they call it, adult. Adult. They say, oh, adulting is so hard. Adulting is so hard. Well, that's what you have to do when you become adult. You have to adult. I don't know who turned that into a verb, but I think it's great. Amen? We have a, we have a pandemic in our country of children living in their parents' basements. Do we not? And I'm talking about children in their 20s and 30s, and in some cases in their 40s. Why? Because somewhere along the line, mom and dad did not set the goal of when my child turns 18 or 21, they're going to be prepared to live life. Hey, don't, don't sell your children short. They can do some incredible things. Jack... And Draca, at 15 years old, invented a new type of sensor to spot the presence of cancer cells, which proved to be less expensive, 160 times more faster, or 160 times, 168 times faster, and 25 to 50% more accurate than all the other tests available. As the story goes, uh, Mr. Or, or Jack here at 15 years old, because of his youth, because of his inexperience, because he had not had all the prestigious degrees and awards and recognitions and, 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 and publications in science, science journals, because of his lack of experiences, experience, he was rejected by almost 200 labs until he was finally endorsed by a Dr. Anurban Maitra at John Hopkins University in Baltimore. Because he accepted him, that became the mainstream. This young boy at 15 years old outdid what all the other adults had done. Alex Denos, at age 12, invented a device called the iAid. And what is the iAid? It is a handheld navigation device meant to help blind people to navigate their way around uh, without any other assistance. Alex taught himself to program and soon created the iAid. And, uh, and, and what, he, what he did is it uses GPS and a compass to detect any obstacles and guide blind people in the right direction. He created this at 12 years of age. 12 years of age. How about Louis Braille? How many know who Louis Braille is? Ever heard of the Braille reading system? You know how old Louis was when he came up with the Braille reading system? He was 15 years old. 15 years old. And blind people all over the world are able to read books. They're able to write with the Braille system. They're able to communicate and, and be educated and understand. And that was not done by some college-educated elite, by some professor who was tenured. That was done by a 15-year-old boy. Now listen to me, listen to me, if children can excel physically, if children can excel mentally, if children can excel socially, if children can excel in the arts, then children can excel spiritually. Children can excel spiritually. To the children here this morning, let me just say to you, what Paul told a young man named Timothy who took a pastorate at a very young age. You children looking up here at me? You listening? Paul told Timothy, he said, 
Let no man despise your youth. Don't ever let anybody put you down because of your age. He said, rather be an example to the believers. Listen, in word, what does that mean? In what you say, how you talk. You might live in a home that's filled with strife and fighting. Mom and dad might fight with each other. They might yell at each other. Maybe your parents cuss. Maybe there's complaining all over the place. Maybe there's just a hardship in the home. You know what? Just because they do it doesn't mean you have to do it. You can lead the way and teach your parents the right way to speak. Not by correcting them, but by modeling it for them. Hey, the Bible says that you children are to be an example in your words, in your conversation. What's that mean? In the way you live your life. You listening? In word and conversation, in charity, that's how you love. In spirit, that's your attitude. In faith. Hey, mom and dad, we're going to church tomorrow, right? Hey, mom and dad, we're going to church tonight, right? Hey, mom and dad, it's Wednesday night. We're going to church, right? You push the faith in the home. Mom and dad don't want to get up and go to church. You say, I really want to go to church. I've been amazed how many parents will do crazy things because their kids push them. Man, they eat out all the time because their kids want to. And they, they, uh, they run them to all sorts of ballet classes and, and wrestling classes and karate classes and baseball uh, and, and soccer and basketball and football. And they run them all over the place. Children, if you'll stand up and say, I don't want to play football, I want to go to church. I bet your mom and dad would take you if you stayed on them long enough. In faith and in purity. Boy, grow up and be pure in your heart. Be pure in your heart. Be pure in your faith. Be children that excel for the Lord. Now, I want to ask a question this morning to everyone in the room. How many of you were ever told as a child, maybe you are a child, but how many of you have ever heard this phrase as a child, children are meant to be seen and not heard? How many of you were ever told that at some point in your life? Children are meant to be seen and not heard. Uh, There's a bunch of children not raising their hands. Parents, you need to go home and tell them that. Amen? (laughs) Help the tradition to live on. My children both raised their hand. They've heard me say it plenty of times. You know, children, if you're only meant to be heard, or rather seen and not heard, then why don't you show your parents what it means to live right? Give them something to see. Amen? Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. And do what's right. Be an example. Now, let me shift gears here this morning, and let me uh, ask you all a question. Everyone in the room. This is an opinion-based question. There's no right or wrong answer. Uh, but I think many of you will agree with me when I give you my opinion. Um, what, in your opinion, is the most difficult command that Christ gave in Scripture to Christians? Take a minute think about it. In your opinion, what is the hardest command for a Christian to abide by and follow? All right? I'm going to give you my opinion. All right? It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Love your enemies. How many of you agree with me that might be the toughest one? All right? It goes on to say this. Bless them that curse you. I've always pictured standing there and having some guy in my face cussing me out. And I just say, I hope goodness on you. I hope blessing on you. I hope you get a raise at work. hope your wife kisses you when you get home. hope your children make an A on their test today at school. Right? I hope your child hits the walk-off home run in the bottom of uh, the last inning in his Little League game. Right? Um, bless them that curse you. Boy, that's not easy to do. And then he says this, Pray for them which 
despitefully use you and persecute you. I'll pray for you, all right. I'll pray a brick lens on your head, man. (laughs) The Bible says we're to pray for them, not pray against them. Could it be that there's a child in the Bible that has modeled for us how to love our enemies in a profound and powerful way? This morning, we're going to turn our attention to a young little girl in the Old Testament. We do not know her name, but we do know her story. And it is an amazing story. This young girl's ability to love her enemy, it led, it led to this man's salvation. Children, you are the future. Are you being prepared for it? You being prepared for it? Parents, your children are the future. Are you preparing them to be leaders one day? We must teach them how to live. We must train them. We must prepare them. I propose that the average parent needs to coddle less and expect more out of their children. Young boys and girls and teenagers alike can be used mightily of God, but we must prepare them to do so. I challenge the children in the room today to play less video games and spend more time learning how to love God. If you can conquer a video game or memorize lines out of your favorite movie, then you can use your brain to accomplish something mighty for God, but you have to want to do it. I'm not going to go off on a tirade against video games. There's nothing wrong with video games in moderation. But parents, video games in excess are dangerous to our children. I know I'm meddling. I know I'm stepping on toes. Children know how to beat Mario or whatever the game today is, Call of Duty, but they don't know how to hold down a job. They can conquer the boss on the last level, but they can't pay their own insurance on their own car. Mom and Dad, it is your job to make sure when that child either turns 18 or 21 that they are equipped with life to know how to live it on their own. Are you preparing them for that? Children, if you can conquer a video game or memorize lines out of your favorite movie, then you can use that brain to accomplish something mighty for God. You can do things that will change the world for the good spiritually. You can go forth and be a bright light in a morally dark world. Hey, let's take a look at this little Hebrew girl. She was a handmaid or a servant girl. We do not know her name, but we can be greatly challenged by her life. And that goes for all of us. And I'd like for us this morning to consider four observations from the story out of 2 Kings as we look at the story of the Hebrew handmaid. Let's look at verse number 1 and notice Naaman's sickness. 
Naaman's sickness. Look at 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. And by the way, if you received a bulletin on your way in this morning, there are some fill in the blank, uh, fill, there are some blanks on the back of that that you can fill in and the answers to those blanks will be up on the screen. Fill it in and you can later study uh, the passage in greater depth on your own. Hopefully these notes will be a help to you. Look at verse 1 there, 2 Kings chapter 5. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, but he was also a mighty man. He was also a mighty man in valor. Notice his last phrase, but he was a leper. He was a leper. Who was Naaman? Naaman was one of the most powerful men in the entire world. You see, God would allow nations to come along and take into captivity the Israelites when they'd get out of line spiritually. He'd send uh, nations in and they would conquer the Israelites for a time and, and then God would give victory. And here in this story, Syria is on the brink of conquering Israel. And they begin sending in armies to raid and land, uh, ransack and take away captives and bring them back. Israel is still its own sovereign nation with its own king, but Syria is looming, it's lurking, and Syria is a large country. Now, uh, uh, Syria had a king, and then it had, I'm sure, some other uh, uh, leaders in its reigns, but uh, somewhere in that short list of leaders, we find Naaman. Naaman was in charge of the military of Syria. The Bible says that Naaman was a mighty man in valor. Naaman was a great man. What does that mean when it says he was a mighty man in valor? That means that he was a big deal. He was a big deal. What does that mean that he was a mighty man in valor? It means he was, he was the elite of the elites. He was well decorated. He was experienced. He was honored and a prominent figure in the nation of Syria. Boy, everywhere he went, there's a good chance people had to stop and make a bow his direction. He had fame. He had power. He had fortune. But he had a problem. What was his problem? His problem is that he had an incurable disease called leprosy. Now, I uh, grew up in church and I've heard junior church preachers and Sunday school teachers talk about leprosy. And I think it was probably greatly exaggerated. In, in Sunday school, you know, I would hear things like, yeah, you know, if you're a leper, you go to bed one night and you wake up and your arm just falls off. Okay, I don't think it's quite that extreme, all right? I, although it may be, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend this morning to be an expert on leprosy because I'm just not. And so I'm not going to get up here and say leprosy does this, that, or the other. But my basic understanding of leprosy is that you get pussy sores on your body that corrode away and eat at the body and will cause... Uh, parts of your body to slowly begin to decay and even uh, fall off and disappear. I've seen pictures of people with leprosy with a missing nose or missing fingers, and it, it, it's gross, it's disgusting. There's rags involved that you, you wrap around the sores, and there doesn't seem to really be any cure for leprosy. I believe there are still some, a few leprous colonies in the world uh, over in some uh, more third-world-type countries. But uh, leprosy uh, was a big problem, and leprosy had no cure. So here you have Naaman. He cannot buy his way out of his problem. 
Here you have Naaman. He cannot fame his way out of his problem. But here you have Naaman. All the power over the military that he wields, he cannot power his way through the problem. Naaman has a problem called leprosy, and it's going to end up causing Naaman in time to be cast out of town and put in something called a leper colony where he'll have to live out his life crying out to anyone that gets near him, unclean, unclean. People would keep his distance. Boy, Naaman was going to go from being top dog to an obscure nobody over something he had no control over. Naaman was scared. Naaman was scared. Now, listen to me here this morning. People in this world work to accrue power. It's no different than Naaman's day. Want to climb the corporate ladder at work? I'm going to be more and more and more important. They work to accrue fame. You know, that's a lot of what social media is about. I'm not going to meddle with social media because I already meddle with video games. And I got enough of with you upset with me over that. But, uh, boy, the more likes I get, the more followers I get, the more friends I have, the more popular my posts are. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having a social media account like video games as long as it's kept in moderation and you know how to control it and not let it control you. But uh, we, we seek for power and we seek for fame and we seek for wealth. But all the power, fame, and wealth in the world, it cannot do anything about the, the, the disease that sets into the soul. And that disease is... Sin. Sin. The truth is, you cannot have enough power to ever stop sinning. You cannot have enough fame to ever stop sinning. And you cannot have enough wealth to stop sinning. No matter who, how wealthy you are, or how popular you are, or how powerful you are, you will always have a problem with moral corruption and sin. You say, oh, not me. Okay, then go a whole day and don't sin. And if you actually can do it, then go a week. And when you get that accomplished, go a month. I've never met anybody that's gone a whole week without sinning once. At least I don't think I have. And I've met some people who are pretty well behaved. You see, sin is like this corroding away, not at our body, but at our soul. And no matter how well you do on this earth, it's still a problem you have to deal with. Name and sickness. Number two, notice the handmaid's spirit. The handmaid's spirit. Here we find that this little Hebrew girl was in a bad place. Look at verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, look here, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, look at her spirit here. Well, look at the content of what she says in a minute. But look at her spirit here, this captive Israelite girl. Would God, my Lord, uh, Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his uh, uh, leprosy. Can you, can you imagine the trauma? Now, I'm going to have some of the children here illustrate this for me, okay? Let's see here. Uh, I need a young lady who's willing to come up here and help me. I don't want to make anybody come up. All right, come on up here, Carissa. Okay, Carissa is going to be our Hebrew handmaid. All right, come on up here. And you uh, sit on the... Uh, the, the the, sit on the stage right there and just act like you're playing with some toys in the yard, all right? I need three boys. You three boys, come on up here, okay? Hustle, 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 hustle. Uh, these people are hungry. They want to go home and eat, okay, or go out to eat, all right? And so we've got to hustle. Now, you are the Syrian men, and you see that little girl over there playing, and we're going to go over and take her captive, okay? We're going to take her away. So let's head on over here. All right, come on. Hustle, hustle, hustle. 
All right. And let's see. Young lady, you come with us. Stand up. Stand up. And you come with us. And you can't say goodbye to your mom and dad. You can, and, and listen, you don't even understand what we're saying because we're speaking in another language. But come on with us. And now you're going to go over here and you're going to live in another country. You're going to go to a different school. You've got to learn a new language. You don't get to see your parents anymore. You don't get to see your friends anymore. You don't get to have your toys anymore. You're going to be a servant and a slave the rest of your life in a country that you do, do not know. How many think that would be traumatizing you, a little girl? Oh, my goodness. You all can be seated. Thank you very much. Now, it is natural as a dad to want to protect my children. It's natural. Every parent in the room that is a normal parent wants to protect their children. We don't want them to be so damaged by trauma in life that they're broken. I have found in life that parents either overcoddle or undercoddle. Right? Some parents are so negligent in their duties that the children get hurt in their childhood and they're never able to recover. This little girl went through a, an incredibly traumatic experience. But you know something? It never broke her spirit. Never broke her spirit. Look here. She's taken captive away from her home, away from her parents, away from her friends. She's forced to learn a new language. She's forced to learn new culture and custom and a new set of food. And instead of griping and complaining, she saw that the man who had taken her captive was sick. And she said this. She said, I wish he would do what I know could be done for him to get better. The handmaid's spirit. Again, Matthew 5.44. Listen. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Wow. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. In the face of being persecuted, this little girl wished nothing but well on the man who was persecuting her. Her spirit was not one of hatred, but rather of love. Her spirit was not one that wished death on her enemy, but healing and health. Number one, Naaman's sickness. Number two, the handmaid's spirit. Number three, notice, the handmaid's solution. The handmaid's solution. Look back at verse number 3 of Second uh, Kings chapter 5. The Bible says, And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord, or would God Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. We see letter A, the compassion for her enemy. The compassion for her enemy. Jude verse 22 says this, it says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. You know, adults, if I can speak to you for a minute, sometimes I, I think, I believe that we overthink our situations. We cannot understand how someone could treat us so wrong. I think part of the reason why this young lady was able to be so effective in showing compassion is because she did not have the mental capacity or life's experiences to know the politics of why Naaman had stolen her out of her land and away from her family. She did not have the experience or mental capacity to know or understand why or how uh, Naaman could be so hateful and mean. Instead of trying to understand, she just chose compassion. And her compassion made a difference in the life of her enemy. I, uh, I look around the room this morning. I look into the eyes of many of you that uh, attend here regularly. And many of you 
I know the hurt that you carry in your heart. I know the struggle that you have. And I want you to know something this morning. I pray for every one of you. I love you. You know what compassion is? It's taking your hurt, putting it in my heart. This little girl could have looked at Naaman and said, I hope you rot and die. But instead, she looked at her enemy and she said, I'm going to take your hurt and I'm going to put it in my heart. And I'm going to carry that. And I'm going to wish nothing but good on you. You know, most Christians are not able to show compassion to their enemy because they cannot even show compassion to those who aren't their enemy. We're so self-absorbed and so self-consumed that we don't take the time to even care about the hurts of those around us. It's all about me and my hurt and my struggle and my busy schedule and my heartache and my car breaking down and the leak in my roof and my stove not working and my kids struggling in school and uh, my adult child's not behaving very well and my life, my problem, my problem, my problem. And we never ever even stop to consider that the world is filled with hurting people and they need us to show them compassion. Boy, until you learn to show your neighbor compassion, you have no chance of showing your enemy compassion. The compassion for her enemy led to letter B, the communication to help her enemy. The communication to help her enemy. Look at verse 3 again, 2 Kings 5. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now watch this, watch this. Let's see here. Matthew, come on up here. All right. Um, Daniel, can you come up here and help me? Would that be okay? Come on up here, big guy. Come on, hustle up here. All right. And then Carissa, come, you come on back up here, okay? All right. Matthew, you stand over there. You're going to be the prophet. Matthew says every time I use him, I make him the bad guy. So I'm going to make him the good guy this time, all right? Come on over here, Carissa. All right. So here Carissa is in captivity. Thank you. And here we have um, Naaman, all right, big, strong Naaman, all right, big, powerful Naaman, mighty man of valor, all right, leader of the Syrian army, all right, and you have leprosy, okay? And she looks at him and says, boy, if I could get him to meet him, he would get better. For those of you just listening and not watching, she said, if I could get Naaman... To meet Elisha, Naaman would get better. She felt compassion, and the compassion boiled over and led her to open her mouth and voice that compassion. Now watch this. She saw a need, she voiced, she felt a need, and she voiced a solution. She saw a need, she felt the need, she voiced a solution. So she goes to uh, Naaman's wife and she says, I know how Naaman could be helped. You know what, uh, you know what this little handmaid could have thought? 
She could have thought, I'm just a little nobody nothing and no one's going to listen to me anyway. So why should I even speak up? Or what if it comes out wrong? Or what if I don't say it right? No, but instead, the compassion in her heart drove her to a place where she opened her mouth and she communicated the solution. And as a result, we'll see in a few minutes, Naaman would end up making his way to the prophet and Naaman would be recovered of his leprosy. Now watch this, Christian. Each of us looks at our neighbor and our friend and even our enemy and we see a need. And we turn and we look at the Savior and we see a solution. And if we do what we're supposed to do, we open our mouth because our heart's full of compassion and we say, let me introduce you to someone that can heal you of your disease. If a little Hebrew slave girl can have enough compassion toward an enemy to open her mouth and help that man, can you have enough compassion in your heart to share Jesus with the world around you? Amen? Christian, are you communicating the gospel? You three can be seated. Thank you very much. I can't speak for every one of you in here, but I can only speak for myself. I think this is probably going to apply to a lot of people. Maybe not everybody. I carry in my pocket gospel tracts that I give out. That was a gospel message on the back, a church invite in the front. I'd encourage you to do the same. We have them by the door on your way out so that you can take as many as you want and need to pass out. You know, there are times, and I'm ashamed to say this, but there are times where I'm pumping gas and I see someone like, um, let's see, Carlos here. Right? So let's say I didn't know Carlos. Carlos is pumping gas on the other side of the pump. And you know what? The truth is, there are times I don't reach in my pocket and reach around the pump and give that to someone like Carlos. You know why I don't do it? Because I don't have enough compassion in my heart to do it. I don't care enough to do it. For me, it isn't that I'm scared. Because I'm not. I've done it many times. It's that I'm being too self-absorbed, I'm being too lazy, and I'm not having compassion toward the guy over there. It's very possible that if I give that to Carlos, he could be going through a hardship in his life. And he takes that and sees it as light. And he follows that light and it ends up leading to his salvation. But how would he know if I didn't have the compassion to tell him? Boy, it's not just enough to feel. We need to voice it. The handmade solution. Number four, let's see Naaman's salvation. Naaman's salvation. I finished the message here. For sake of time, I'll fill in the story here. The little handmade girl had such a testimony of credibility that she spoke to, spoke to Naaman's wife. And Naaman's wife said, listen, I don't know if it'll work, but in the off chance it should, I think you should try it. Uh, the little handmade girl is saying that there's a prophet in her country named Elisha. Elisha, uh, she thinks, would be able to heal you of your leprosy. You just need to go see God's man. You need to go see the prophet, and maybe he can heal you. So uh, he goes and, through a series of events, finds his way to Elisha's house, and he is shocked that Elisha does not give him the respect that he thinks he deserves. Let's look at verse 10 of 2 Kings chapter number 5. It says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought, 
He would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Now, before we continue reading, what's he saying here? He's saying, I am, I am a big deal. I am famous. I am powerful. I demand respect. How dare that prophet just send a servant to the door? I am worth more than just a simple servant. Then he says, I was expecting Elisha to come out here and put on a theatrical display and heal me. I am really upset that didn't happen. And it wasn't just the messenger, it was the message. Because the message was, take yourself down to the murky, muddy Jordan River and dip yourself in it seven times. And let's keep reading. Look at verse number 12. It says, Are not, and again, Naaman is speaking here in a temperous rage, Are not Abana and Farfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Boy, Naaman needed Pastor Morales' anger management class. Amen? (laughs) He went away in a rage. Boy, he's hot under the collar. He's red in the face. He's yelling and screaming. He's venting. And he walks away all upset. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself uh, seven times in Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now notice here that Naaman wanted to be healed on his terms, not the prophets, not God's. Notice here that Naaman wanted to be healed by doing something great. And God said it isn't about works. It's about simple obedience and the faith expressed through that obedience. Notice here that he wanted to go to a river that was cleaner. He didn't like the idea of a murky, muddy, dirty Jordan River. Come on up here, April. Stand right there for me. I want you to jump off the platform and come back up. I want you to do it seven times. Go ahead. Seven times he climbed out of the river. And Naaman jumped back in. And the second time he looked at his skin and he still wasn't clean of his leprosy. And the third time he came up and he looked at his skin and he still wasn't cleansed of the leprosy. And the fourth time he went in. You're not jumping. Come on now. There we go. Five. All right. Still not clean. Six times. All right. Now stop. Not to get into any weird theology here, but six is the number of man. God says, I don't want you to do it man's way, I want you to do it my way. Seven is the number of completion. I'm sure, hold on, I'm sure when he came out of the water the sixth time, he thought, this isn't working. But the seventh time, he looked at his skin, look at your skin, and the leprosy was gone. Naaman almost didn't get healed of his leprosy because the process of being healed for him was just too simple. It can't be that easy. Jump into the Jordan River seven times and my leprosy will be gone. 
Listen, he must have thought, I've spent big money at doctors, and they don't have an answer. And this is, this is going to work, but he did it. Uh, uh, Naaman almost was not healed of his leprosy because he thought the Jordan River was muddy. You know, there are people that think that the blood of Christ is gross. And they're not willing to accept the fact that we need to be dipped in the blood of Jesus to be healed of the sin of our, uh, the, the disease of, uh, of our sin. You know, many people are going to go to hell not because they weren't smart but because they were too smart. They were so smart, they would not simply do the simple act of believing and receiving. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin. When, I want to finish with this. Alright, I'm almost done. Watch now. How did Naaman get healed? It was a servant girl that informed him. It was Elisha's servant that told him. And it was his own servant's That convinced him. The power of his servant. I stand here today as the servant of God. I'm just a servant. I can't save you, but he can. And I'm here to tell you that if you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to dip your soul beneath the cleansing power of his blood. We sang earlier in the service, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. How about it? Has your soul been plunged beneath the blood? How about you Christians today? Are you loving your enemy? Are you living like this little handmaid girl? Is your heart filled with compassion for the world around you? Are you communicating the help that the Savior can give? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. If you're here today and you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm just like that little servant girl. Maybe I'm like Naaman's servant, and I just want to try to convince you. It's not about doing some great act of service. Boy, it's not about your way. It's about God's way. Many people think that God is narrow-minded and unfair that he only has one way to heaven. My friend, he created the world. He created the heavens and the earth. He gets to make the rules. You can challenge whether or not he's narrow-minded, but at the end of the day, unless you come to him on his terms, he's not going to receive you. The beauty of that is that his terms are very simple. Turn from your unbelief and believe in Jesus washed, and be made whole. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I know, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved. I have made that decision. You can put your hands down. Is there one here today? There were several that didn't raise their hand, and I respect that. I'm thankful for your honesty. Is there one here today? That would say, Pastor Lejeune, I've not made that decision. I do not know that if I were to die, that I'd go to heaven. My friend, if that's you, I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I would never call out your name or point you out. But I would like to pray for you. If you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die, would you just slip your hand up and slip it right back down? Be honest with yourself and be honest with the Lord. 
Is there one I do not know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven? I didn't, didn't see a hand. Some of you didn't raise your hand either time. I trust that you're trying to keep this very private. And if that's the case, I would just say, make sure you turn to Jesus. Boy, it's nothing complicated. You turn to Him and you put your faith in Him. Don't, don't, don't wait any longer. We're not promised tomorrow. Put your faith in Jesus before it's eternally too late. To the children in the room this morning, I'd ask you this. How many of you children this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, I want to love Jesus like that little girl loved Jesus. I want to love those who are wrong to me the way that girl loved those who were wrong to her. Pastor, I want to be faithful to God the way she was faithful to God. Pastor, here's my hand. Would you pray for me that I would do that? Is there any of the children in the room that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be kind to others and I want to love Jesus. Amen. If you raise your hand, I would encourage you to maintain a tender heart toward God. How many of the adults in the room today say, Pastor, I need help with loving my enemy and showing compassion to the world around me. Here's my hand. Pray for me. I need help loving my enemy and showing compassion to the world around me. Lord, with our heads bowed and, uh, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, let, let, let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would work in the hearts of your people today. Bring all of us to a point of decision. We've covered a lot of different topics and looked at a lot of different things. Spirit of God, you work in each heart as you see fit. Draw the lost to you to be saved and draw the saved closer to you. Help them to live for you in Jesus' name.